0: And the team on the brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance. This is his weekly Monday appearance, the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And in what follows, as he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors here on this edition of the program to analyze all baseball. Of particular note, the Miami Marlins. They've named their general manager their field manager. And they've named their assistant general manager their general manager. They've named a lot of people different things, but they've hired no one new, it seems. We discussed while the Marlins, and in particular, Jeffrey Loria, while savvy businessman, is also kind of a huge bummer. We also look at the Padres outfield, how it's doing so far, and in particular, Will Myers, one of the rare cases of a center fielder slash first baseman. Dave Cameron wrote last week about Billy Hamilton and how it would be ideal uh, for him to improve with his bunting. I asked Cameron, uh, how easy is it, actually, or isn't it, to improve at bunting? He answers that if i recall correctly finally uh um, cameron provides some commentary compares what this edition of the program could have been uh to what it actually is
1: that would have been fantastic and this is not
0: it is fangraphs audio it does feature managing editor dave cameron and it begins right now
1: You know, I'm standing in the middle of a room, but it works.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we'll try this way. We'll try with Dave Cameron standing in the middle of a room, but his face relatively close to the mic. Yeah, that sounds like an overly long title for Bangrass. Well, we might not use that. Okay, that's possible. Uh, another one we might not use, but I guess I, I don't know. Mostly, almost forced, almost forced to ask you about it is the. Um, Marlin's managerial situation.
1: Yeah, they have a a, a new manager who
0: hasn't managed since the high school team in the 80s. Right. Yeah. And, and, but he has uh, general managed. Um, he ha- yeah,
1: scouted and run up an
0: office. Very recently, he's done one of those things very recently.
1: As of yesterday.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, can you can you? So it's not really a thing that happens anymore, right? Where the same sort of people who work as managers also work as general managers there are not many instances whereas i feel like in the past it might have been more frequent
1: yeah i mean you didn't used to have specialized front offices you basically just had a you know a couple people running a baseball team <laughs> like the guy who owned it was also you know the manager and maybe played and you know traded people and signed people and sold concessions i mean you know it used to be uh, much more of a jack-of-all-trades kind of situation. But yeah, then, I mean, did
0: um, Connie Mack do everything?
1: I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah, and Branch Rickey and these guys. I mean, they were, like, you know, setting up farm systems themselves while they were managing, and, uh, right, so, I mean, the game didn't used to be 500 people running a team. It was three or four people running a team, and nowadays you have everything broken out into its own little departments, and everything has become very uh segregated and specialized, And and so this is a little bit of a throwback to the you know, 1950s, back when teams couldn't afford to do what they can do now. And, you know, maybe Dan Jennings will be a really good manager. I don't think we even know how to evaluate managers, so I'm a little hesitant to evaluate managerial prospects because uh, we don't even really know what makes a good manager, and maybe Dan Jennings will become one. Uh, but I would suggest that the Marlins probably don't know that any more than anyone else does.
0: What What do you think is the, if you were to guess, if you were to speculate as to the actual reason – why they've done this, what would it be? Uh, they're cheap. <laughs> okay. they're,
1: so they're paying Ozzy Guillen to not manage, and now they're paying Mike Redmond to not manage, and they're paying Larry Beinfest to not general manage. Uh, I think at some point they probably were just, uh, Jeffrey Lurie specifically, was like, I'm tired of paying people uh, to not work for me anymore. So I've got this job opening, and I've got these people who do work for me. I'm just going to make him do other work and rearrange people instead of bringing in someone from the outside. Uh you know, Jeffrey Loria is notoriously uh concerned with his own bottom line and his own profit. And I would not be at all surprised if this decision was made uh, because they didn't want to pay another manager a couple million dollars and fire him <laughs> in 12 months.
0: I mean, aren't there my, – my guess is that Jeffrey Loria um, likes – he wants to make money. He wants to profit from his investments. Is that yes. right? Yeah. That's pretty clear. But aren't there other investments – that he could be making that would bum people out less?
1: <laughs> uh, I think he has done some of that. Uh, I'm not like an art uh, connoisseur, so I don't know exactly his reputation in the art world, but uh, I understand that he is a, a significant art collector, and um, yeah. I've heard some stories of people in the art world like even less than people in the baseball world.
0: Yeah, but it does seem, I mean, and maybe it would apply to arts too, because as soon as you begin commodifying a thing, an object that um is also regarded as you know somehow um, I don't know if spiritually resonant is the word, but it that it and it has a you know some meaning for people, right? So you see a painting by Picasso and you say this has real this is real beauty, right? This has real beauty in it. Now, maybe not everyone sees it, but some people value it quite highly. Um uh, on an aesthetic level, if not, if they can't necessarily purchase it. But, so I guess, yes, art dealing could be another way to bum people out, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um but it does, it does seem as though owning a baseball team, the, the way that you, you typically hear owners meddling, I feel like, is in the cases where, I think, didn't it, hasn't it happened with the Nationals a couple times, where the guys, they're maybe seduced by Scott Boris, right. Um or they think that they know something about baseball and they decide to get involved, whereas Loria, when he's meddling, he just seems like he's just like um he he is like a he is a real miser he's a miserly man,
1: yeah, I mean, I think you know uh the Marlins are the team that has least
0: run like a professional
1: business than any other organization in baseball, probably, which is interesting because they're also maybe one of the most profitable. Uh, so I guess if you're just looking at it from a dollar and cents perspective, they're doing just fine. But, you know, like David Samson, who's the president of the team, is Loria's son-in-law, I think, or stepson, in so some relation, uh, and he basically got that job through nepotism. Uh, David Sampson has been regularly shown to not be qualified to run a multi-billion-dollar organization, uh, You know, I think he appeared on Survivor and made a fool out of himself on that show. He's been publicly insulted by many other general managers. Uh No one in baseball thinks very highly of David Sampson. And this is the guy that Lorian put in charge because he's related to him. And You know, these are the kinds of things like, fine, the Steinbrenners run the Yankees, but it's not like George Steinbrenner just, you know, handed handed the organization over to guys who didn't know what they were doing. Uh They might have personality quirks, but the Yankees are obviously run in a Somewhat more meticulous manner now than they were when George was in charge. Uh, I think with the Marlins, you've got a situation where the people at the top, uh, of the organization are not really baseball people and they're not really, uh, that in, that concerned with building a great baseball organization. They're just kind of treating the Marlins as their own little plaything and doing what they want, which they have a right to do because they bought the team and they own the team and it is their property. Uh, but they're not being very good stewards of the property and I, I think one of the things that fans have problems with is we don't necessarily view the teams as, you know, the, the personal, uh, house of Jeffrey Loria or, you know, like some car that they can, you know, trick out and paint pink if they want to because we are deriving some enjoyment, uh, or our ability to derive enjoyment, uh, from their property comes from how well they manage it. If they don't manage it very well, we get less enjoyment from it even though we don't have a say in how they're, how they're running their own affairs.
0: Right. So, and it bums people out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the end result. Jeffrey Loria is
1: a major bummer.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he is a major bummer. I yeah. mean, I'm not I'm not saying th- this might be the case. It might not be the case. I'm not saying Jeffrey Loria is a bad person. Yeah, he might not be. He might not be. But what I think is manifestly clear is that he's bumming people out.
1: I think if we were to make one generalization from not having ever met the man and not interacting with him, so this is clearly not, uh, you know, we know Jeffrey Loria, we have inside information. This is just... Outsiders view Jeffrey Loria strikes me as perhaps a bit selfish, which maybe most baseball owners are, and, and maybe most rich people. That might be why they're rich in the first place. But Jeffrey Loria seems much more concerned with what he thinks and what he wants than
0: what anyone else wants, and mm-hmm. so he makes
1: self-interested decisions that's kind of hurt other people, and he doesn't seem to care.
0: Doesn't seem to care. All right. Uh, and so you say so they've hired, they've they've assigned. I shouldn't say they hired. They have assigned. Dan Jennings to manage the team. Uh, will they be hiring, will they be assigning someone else to general, generally manage the team? Yeah, I believe Mike Hill, uh, is gonna take over as the GM.
1: He was the assistant GM before.
0: Right. So they're,
1: uh, they're just rearranging the front office essentially. Uh, Mike Goff, who is a, Advanced scout is now going to become the first base coach or the bench coach, which is kind of the manager's right-hand guy. So they're taking two guys out of the front office and putting them on the, in the in the clubhouse. Uh, and then they're taking the assistant GMs and, and promoting them to kind of run the – they're not giving them the actual GM title, but they're going to just run the baseball ops department.
0: Right. I will be honest. Uh, it, um, when the news was first announced, I, I was um, – I misunderstood it, and I thought the uh, right-handed reliever, or sorry, left-handed reliever, Dan Jennings, had been a sign. Especially because I thought that because he had pitched for the Marlins every year up till last year.
1: You know, I will say, uh, last night when it kind of broke that the Marlins were going to make a shocking selection as their new manager, and it was someone that people hadn't guessed, uh, I got somewhat sort of irrationally excited at the idea of Ichiro taking over. Not that it was going to happen, but he is on their team, and he is. Uh, hilarious. And, uh, each row running a team would be the most entertaining thing in baseball. Like, I don't, I would watch every single Marlins game the rest of the year if each row is their manager. I think, uh, that would have been
0: fantastic. And
1: this is not.
0: (laughs) And this is not. Yeah. Yeah, is it really out of the box? It's not, I mean, it's, it's different. That's a fact. But I don't, they're not like, oh, this is the way. Um, the last player manager, I believe, was Pete Rose.
1: Yeah, that does not go so well for
0: him. That right. well, yeah. yeah, that didn't go so well. But the I, the concept of a player-manager is a compelling one.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I think, like, you know, we'll never see it again because the role of the manager is now so much about handling the media uh, and so much of what he has to do is kind of, you know, forward public relations type stuff. But you'll never see a player have to prepare for games and, and do all his own Stop in order to be a you know a competitive major league player and also handle all the duties of a manager. I just don't think we'll ever see it again, but it would be fun. And if you were ever going to do it, Ichiro might be the most fun.
0: Yeah. What, are, what is the status of? I, it's probably not his actual spoken English, but his willingness to speak it in public at this point.
1: Yeah, he doesn't do it all that often, but he you know I think he's most famous for his All Star Game speeches. Back when he used to make the All Star team, right. Uh he would give these. Uh, profanity-laden, uh, kind of pep talks to the American League All-Star teams that were, uh, always considered the highlight of the All-Star game by the players in the American League clubhouse. They loved hearing Ichiro just cuss up a storm in English, and, uh, they say every time he gets on first base, he could have, like, a, a long conversation with you with no problem. So he, he certainly could, uh, you know, speak it well enough to, uh, communicate if he needed to be, if he needed to, but, you know, he chooses generally not
0: to right yeah he would seem to me the sort i mean i right in choosing not to that actually seems like like a like in a like a smart calculated maneuver right where he's just like uh he set a precedent of not speaking in public so that he doesn't have to continue to do it
1: yeah i think when i got married uh one of my wife's uncles came up to me at the wedding and he said i'm gonna give you a, a secret tip uh here's what i want you to do for the first like year of your marriage you need to do all of the dishes and you need to do all of the laundry and you need to make the bed and you need to clean up after yourself and after her and you need to do all of these things so poorly that she will never let you do them again for the rest of your marriage yeah and i think this is basically the the idea is each row is like yeah i can speak english but i don't want to i don't want to have to do it so i'm going to do it poorly or pretend that i can't so that i don't ever have to again
0: yeah that sounds sounds smart sounds smart and you have you have you uh have you taken advantage of that
1: I got fired from the laundry and the dishes very quickly.
0: Oh, alright. From the dishes?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think I do not pre-scrub as well as oh, maybe yeah. I'm supposed to pre-scrub. I just think, you know, we have a dishwasher, it's supposed to wash dishes, but apparently it is the, uh, uh, I don't know, name a bad baseball player of dishwashers.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, a dishwa- I don't know, maybe there's some models out there. Listeners, if you have any suggestions for good Good appliances. Go ahead and just leave them in the comment section. Uh, let's talk about not that anymore, though. <laughs> um, um uh, yeah, alright. So, well, but anyway, the, the last point with regard is this, like they hired him and it's a weird situation, and I guess what? I mean, they're not, uh, the team hasn't been miserable, right?
1: Well, they haven't been good.
0: I, I think this, good. Is,
1: this is another situation where, uh, the Marlins convinced themselves they were com- competitive, a little bit like the Padres, maybe but even with like, the worst roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they when they weren't really. Not that the Padres can't be competitive. But they're both of these teams I think made a bunch of moves to say, We're gonna be really good this year and then, you know, the White Sox probably pulling this bucket too. They aren't they aren't they good. Like the moves they made to got some players who, you know, used to be good, uh, or aren't as good as people think they are. Uh and, you know, I think the roster in whole was overrated and, you know, they weren't ever likely to be able to keep up with the nationals, so they were kind of a fringe wild card contender. Um, uh, you know, I think When you take a 500 team and you have a few people get injured, you end up with a 425 or 450 team, which is what the Marlins have been so far.
0: Right. Uh, I mean, in that regard, do you think Redmond's firing from the Marlins is pretty similar to Reneky's from the Brewers?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, I I don't know that, again, I'm not thinking that I can evaluate managers. I don't know if Mike Redmond's a good manager or a bad manager. I did vote for him uh, third of the National League Manager of the Year balloting last year, so, you know, there's that. Uh, And I would imagine he'll get another... Uh, chance to manage. There's been speculation that he could eventually manage the Blue Jays, because he, he came from Toronto, I think, when the Marlins hired him initially. Um, but I think Mike Redmond will get another job and probably turn out to be a, a fine major league manager when he's not uh, working for an organization that uh, does some really silly things. All
0: right. Alright. Uh, let's talk about another team on the uh, exact opposite um, coast, Inesta Padres, currently, um, who... Uh, when you talk about teams that have maybe convinced themselves they were in contention, uh, well, the Marlins are six games out right now of, the uh, first place New York Mets, which is a strange sentence to have uttered anyway. Uh, but the, uh, San Diego Padres are also six games behind, um, in a slightly more competitive division. Um, but, uh, the, the one thing that, that, uh, has piqued my interest about this, and I think a, um, a commenter noted it in your chat, your most recent chat, is that <clears throat> the Padres currently have a first baseman who, because he's filling in for Yonder Alonso, but who's also their center fielder. Yeah. And I was wondering about instances, and I think I could think, I think both, I think Lance Berkman and Willie Mo Pena are, are players I remember playing both first base and center field, but you don't see it often. Yeah, Darren Erstad is probably the most famous.
1: Uh, he was actually a really good defensive center fielder and a really good defensive first baseman, uh, but he couldn't stay healthy. So that's why he was kind of moved back and forth between those two, uh, which Will Myers might be a similar case as, you know, he's potentially going to play some first base, uh, due to injury problems, not so much because the Padres realize he's not a very good defensive center fielder. Uh, but I think that might be even a, not to just move away from the Padres too quickly. There's maybe an even more interesting case in Seattle where Brad Miller is currently a shortstop slash designated hitter. Which you don't see. Probably, you probably see that even less often than the first base DH, uh, first base center field combination. Uh, because Miller was displaced at shortstop, uh, after making too many errors for Lloyd McClendon's liking, uh, by Chris Taylor, who's definitely a better defensive shortstop. Uh, but then they realized, hey, like Brad Miller's like our fourth best hitter. Maybe mm-hmm. we should keep playing him. So they played him at DH. Uh, so we have a first base, uh, center field guy in San Diego and a shortstop DH guy in Seattle uh the West Coast is weird.
0: So remind me who's so with regard to CL, remind me who's playing uh, left and right field for them.
1: They've Dustin Ackley and left. Uh Nelson Cruz was originally signed to be the DH, but they stuck him in right field because they just can't go an entire year without a disastrous outfielder. They just, you know, have to carry on the spirit of Raul Lobanez and Jason Bay and uh all these guys. They've stuck out in Safe field. So Nelson Cruz is playing a lot of right field. Uh Seth Smith spends some time in the outfield. Uh, but also DHs some. So Miller's kind of in a rotation, uh, especially while Austin Jackson's hurt, of, like, kind of outfielders, kind of DHs, uh, probably, you know, in the lineup for their bat, and we have to stick them
0: somewhere, guys. So, okay, even presumably, say let's say Miller's not even a league, say he's not a league average shortstop.
1: Which UZR actually says he is. I mean, not that, you know, everyone buys into UZR, but by the defensive metrics, Brad Miller's fine. He just makes some bad throws. Like, he's got a throwing problem. Right. Uh, but range-wise, and like, he can handle
0: the position if you can just deal with the fact that he's gonna make some bad throws. So, okay, so he can trick UZR into thinking he's average. Yeah. He's been, he's played at shortstop for, for what, the entirety of his minor league career. Yeah, and in college. And in college. He's decent enough so that at least it's not shocking to see him at the position.
1: Yeah, he's a, at least reasonable
0: option as a major league shortstop. Right. Okay, so is it, what do you presume that you could, Um, Or I guess I wouldn't say would you presume what is what would have to happen what is the what would be the process of saying to Brad Miller hey listen and how much better would he be if at all than um, than putting him in right field instead of Nelson Cruz and and allowing Nelson Cruz and Seth Smith for example to uh, to share DH duties.
1: Yeah, so they put Brad Miller in the outfield once last week. It was his first ever game in the outfield. He didn't get any minor league time. You know, they just kind of let him shank and shag some balls in the outfield uh, before games and then stuck him out there. And then after one game, they put him right back at DH. So uh, it seems like there's some inexperience there that they're not willing to live with, uh, whereas Nelson Cruz at least runs in the right direction of the ball all the <laughs> time. And I think it, for a lot of managers, that's really all they want. I mean, you know, I think when you talk about kind of older school defensive evaluations, they generally just want you to not look embarrassing. And Nelson Cruz can't get to anything, he doesn't have any range, but he doesn't look awful, as long as you don't look at like the spray chart of where hits fall in when he's playing the outfield.
0: Whereas presumably Brad Miller's added level of athleticism would allow him to get terrific jumps in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah, right. I think that's kind of what they're, they're looking at is he's going to break the wrong way and he's probably going to misread some balls and he's going to throw it to the wrong base occasionally, but he's also going to cover some ground. And I think if they, you know, this is kind of what we saw with Mookie Betts last year, right? Mookie Betts moved to the outfield and they're like, man, this guy's a really good athlete, but he doesn't really know how to play center field yet. And then after, you know, spring training, playing it all, you know, all spring and coming out, now Mookie Betts looks like a fantastic defensive center fielder. So it takes some time. There's a learning curve. Uh, but I think, you know, if the Mariners or some other team decide that uh, Brad Miller isn't worth playing at shortstop uh, in the future, which I think is an arguable case. I, I would just stick Brad Miller back at shortstop because I don't think Chris Taylor can hit. Uh, but if he does eventually transition to the outfield, I think his athleticism and speed make it perfectly reasonable that he could even be a quality defensive center fielder at some point. Uh, and he can hit. So, you know, my man crush for Brad Miller lives on.
0: Do you do you see any substantial difference, actually, now that I wonder, uh, between – um, Brad Miller and Marcus Semion, who's also in that same division. I
1: think Miller's actually better defensively than Semyon. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, and I think you know Brad Miller probably has more power long term. Like Semien's, you know, certainly hitting for a lot of power early, but I think Simeon's probably a little bit more of a doubles guy. Where uh, you know Brad Miller's not going to hit 30 home runs, but he actually hits the ball like pretty pretty hard, pretty mm-hmm. consistently. Uh, I think when I was looking at it last night, uh, Brad Miller like 52 or 53 percent of his hits this year have gone for extra bases. And the guys who have done that are generally like big hulking sluggers and Gregor Blanco, uh, which is, you know, another odd little guy hitting for power, but, uh, Brad Miller actually hits the ball pretty hard and he hits for power and, um, he probably runs a little bit better than Semyon as well. Uh, so I think, you know, they're similar kinds of players. I would take Miller over Semyon going forward. Uh, but, you know, same kind of arch type of player, yeah.
0: Yeah, I would, yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, similar player. It should be noted that Brad Miller's hit all those extra bases while playing. Uh at uh, Safeco, which I guess maybe the left field is less terrifying than it used to be, but still not great for right-handed hitters.
1: Well, he's a left-handed hitter, so that's good news. Brad Miller? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, Marcus Semien's a right-handed hitter, is what I would like to inform you now. Okay,
1: good. Well, and, the good thing Marcus Semien doesn't play in Safeco.
0: Yeah. Uh I also will – um my, uh, it's definitely, almost certainly, um my considerable bias in the direction of Marcus Semien uh But I will I will dissent from everything you just said regarding how Miller's better.
1: That's fine. I mean, I, you know, I think there's an argument made that you know, my Femi might be a little bit better. I think they're both above average major league shortstops with significant defensive issues. Mm-hmm. Maybe more significant than in Semyon's case. So you have to think the bat is a lot better. Yeah, uh, which maybe you do.
0: I agree with it. He's made some ugly ugly plays over there, and uh, yeah. Uh. So oh yeah. So but let's return to the the Can you think of any other? But you did come up with one. Oh yeah, Darren Erstad. The center. F- so here's why it's unlikely. Center field is a position which tends to require, um, well, tends to require quite a bit of range, or at least players who possess range are assigned there. Um, uh, and so the opposite is true of first baseman. So why? How? What are the circumstances? Do you find if you can create like a taxonomy uh, uh, under which players are are playing the both? You mentioned one in the case of Ernst- Erstad where maybe it was it would be helpful. Uh, it would be helpful for him because it would, uh, he would get injured less. Yeah. Uh, any uh, other, I mean, uh, the other one, the case of Will Myers is, is what? Is that he actually shouldn't be in center field.
1: Yeah, so I think what generally you see, the, the reason the first base center field, uh, thing is so odd is that usually when you have kind of utility guys who move from infield to the outfield, they're right-handed throwers, right? So if you're a right-handed thrower, you can play anywhere on the field, especially second base, third base, shortstop. That's where it's basically required that you throw with your right hand in order to get first base without having a spin on every play. Uh, so we see guys like Emilio Bonifacio or whatever, name any random utility player, Willie Bloomquist, whoever you want to name, who plays both infield and outfield, uh, it's because that they can throw right-handed and they can play in other positions. And so, what you have with left-handed throwers is they're basically confined to the outfield, or first base, or DH, right? So, like, you basically have this smaller pool of players already because if you're, you know, not able to play one of the other infield positions, you're you're likely in a left-handed thrower. And so, okay, uh, how many athletic left-handed throwing uh, players are there going to be who are good enough defensively to handle center field? Uh, but not, you know, where you'd still want the, the the bat would be good enough to carry them at first base. Essentially, there's just not going to be that many of those guys. It's a it's a very small pool within a, an already small pool of players. And so, uh, you know, I think Myers is maybe an example of a guy who could be just as valuable at first base as he is in center field because he shouldn't be playing center field. He's a corner outfielder. The Dodgers are just sticking him there because they were experimenting with how bad their outfield defense could be before it breaks their pitching staff. Uh, And Myers is, you know, not a very good defensive outfielder in general, certainly not a good defensive center fielder. So this is a guy who you could say, you know, he might be just as valuable at first base. It's not like we're taking, you know, Peter Burgess and sticking him at first base where he loses all his defensive value. Myers' value is really in his bat. If you play him at first base or center field, it's probably not that different.
0: And um, I think that who who are they playing? They're playing, uh, what, Will Venable in center and Abraham Amante?
1: Yep. Right, it's not, their backups aren't so good now that they traded Cameron Mabin away, uh, and Cameron Mabin actually is playing fairly well for Atlanta, uh, and making that trade look a little questionable. Wait, what is BJ Upton then? He's rehabbing. And I think it'll be interesting to see when he comes back because, uh, BJ Upton, I think we're pretty sure at this point probably can't hit big league pitching very well anymore, and eventually Yonder Alonso, who was their starting first baseman, will come back. And so when Alonzo and Upton are both healthy, they have a chance to at least kind of use Will Myers as like a platoon guy uh, where they can go defense in center field with Upton or offense in center field if they want to play Alonzo at first base. Uh, my guess is they'll probably just stick Alonzo back at first base, uh, stick Myers back in center field, and and roll with their preseason arrangement just make Upton their fourth outfielder. Uh, maybe he'll come in for defensive purposes and Myers will sub out or Alonzo will sub out. But uh, my guess would be we'll probably just see the Padres keep rolling out there upton Myers kemp outfield for as long as they
0: can. Wait, how did that happen with B.J. Upton? Even as recently as, what,
1: 2012, he was decent. Yeah, I think 20 yeah 2013 even, maybe, because that's the year he got the big contract, right?
0: Well, yeah, in uh, between those two. Yeah, yeah right. So, yeah. I
1: mean, right. A couple of years ago, he could hit, and then he just forgot. Huh.
0: Yeah, he just started striking out a little bit more. His BABIPs have been lower. I
1: yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, trying to figure out why guys crater is tricky, because... Uh, you, you can look at it and be like, well, you know, he has a, some recent history that suggests that this won't last, and then it just keeps lasting, and you're like, oh, we have Dan Ugla, who was good, and then he wasn't. And now you have another Dan Ugla. It seems like the Braves are good at identifying these guys, except for, you know, in, in the wrong direction. Maybe. Yeah,
0: well, it's the, so is this the, is that the, one of the fears do you think, um one associates with, uh, guys who have contact problems to begin with? Because you say, well, if 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 he makes a little bit less contact, then that that's going be it's going to be a difficult package. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think it's not even so much the making less contact, it's the and I think Tony has written about this with regards to Giancarlo Stanton. is When you swing and miss as frequently as some of these guys do, and this is maybe a concern with Chris Bryant and Javier Baez and some of these young players who've come into the big league this year, uh, when you have contact rates between like sixty and seventy percent or even in the low 70s, you have to make really hard, authoritative contact uh, when you do hit the ball in order to be useful. So, you know, if you are swinging and missing a third of the time, uh, or you're missing on a third of your swing, I guess is a better way of saying it, uh, and you, then your quality of contact diminishes by even 10%, you can go from really good to not that good in a hurry. And I think, uh, you know, this is maybe another example of Matt Kemp, right? Like, Matt Kemp's always going to strike out between 25 and 30% of the time, and when he's really good, it's because he's running a 360 up and hitting the crap out of the ball. And when he's like, you know, maybe not at 100% health and the ball isn't going as far and he's not hitting at 100 miles an hour off his bat all the time, uh, his contact rates are too low for him to sustain being a really good hitter.
0: Yeah. Uh, last thing about which I'll ask you, um, uh, this, uh, we were talking about some, we've, well, there's a couple of, uh, um, segues available to us here. We've talked about center fielders. Uh, we've talked about players who've converted to center field uh, when we were, um, uh, or at least to the outfielder, mentioning Brad Miller. Um, we're talking about hard contact. Uh, uh, you wrote last week about Billy Hamilton, uh, who did who did convert to the outfield and is seemingly playing the center field quite well at this point. Yeah, um, I don't actually remember writing about Billy Hamilton. What did I write about Billy really Hamilton? You see, he needs to bunt. Oh, yeah. I did write
1: The Billy Hamilton Eats of long. That was like
0: five days ago. It was, you know la- it was last week. Today's Monday? You did yeah. it last week. But the yeah. thing about which I'm curious is because one of – within that post, you um, – so I was watching a game, and I think that this is pretty standard commentary from a certain sort of broadcaster. Uh, I forget who – Which teams even were playing? But um, a player tried to. Reds were probably one of them. No, it didn't involve Billy Hamilton specifically, but it involved bunting. A guy didn't put down a bunt, is the point. And then the the commenter made. Maybe I'm being slightly ungenerous here, but he he said he said something to the effect of, like maybe he even said in my day, etc. Anyway, he said that that's a skill you need to have. You need to be able to put down a bunt, Right. right? And I w- first of all, I'm wondering, because I feel like I've read something that, that would support this notion, is that is it, is it possible that players are no better or worse at bunting now than they have been in the past?
1: Uh Well, yeah, at- it's, it's possible. I mean, I don't think we can – we don't have enough evidence to say for sure one way or the other. So, yes, it's possible. I think it's probably likely they're worse at bunting now mm-hmm. because uh, it's easier to own runs than it used to be, uh, especially a 100 years ago or something when offense was really scarce. Uh, and you know you had five or six guys in the lineup who couldn't hit at all. Those guys were uh expected to bunt regularly because they couldn't hit. And now you don't really have that as much. And mean, there's a few like, you know, Billy Hamilton types who are defensive specialists and speedsters who are in their lineup to, in the lineup despite their bats. uh But there aren't that many of those guys anymore. And so I think bunting has become diminished in its uh, importance because now everyone in the in the lineup is kind of expected to be able to hit their weight.
0: You know, but there does seem to be do you agree that sometimes there appears to be a moral there's like a moral component to to successfully executing a bunt
1: uh i so i, I agree that people think that so i agree that the commentator probably is offended by the fact that you know whoever you were watching didn't get the bunt down yes, there's
0: there's a quality of indignation that accompanies yeah, a failed I, bunt attempt
1: yeah i mean i think people think it's easy right so like I, I think people see it as you just turn your bat around and don't worry that 98 miles an hour is coming at your face you just get you know get the bat on the ball and that's all you have to do it's super simple and then if you actually talk to baseball players they're like meh it's actually really quite hard like this is this is not nearly as easy as, you, as it looks uh, and i think you know Jeff has written a few posts about this where like the success rate on bun attempts is not not nearly as high as people think. People right. want it to be like ninety five percent. It's like fifty percent.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think he did it in, uh, at least one post in the context of the shift. Yeah. Uh, players who are shifted on, and you do hear um, this refrain. Uh, well, why don't they just bunt against the shift? You do that. You do that for a couple days, and they'll never shift you against against you again.
1: Right. I talked to a few major league players about this, that specific, thing like, hey. You get shifted to these amount. Why don't you bunt? And they're like, yeah, it's really hard. I don't think I can do it very well.
0: Right. And if they spend time doing that, theoretically, I don't know. Yeah, it just it's yeah. They they just let them just them do them do. I mean, obviously, it's good. It would be good to have the skill. But so my point is, you say Billy Hamilton should get better at bunting. What do you think of the odds that he could get better at bunting? Because presumably he's attempted it before.
1: Well, I think that's one of the things we don't really know, right? Like, we don't know how much time Billy Hamilton is spending on this. We don't really know what the bunting aging curve looks like. Uh, when I was researching that post, I did kind of look at guys uh, since we have 2002 to 2015 bunt data from Baseball Info Solutions. I did look at guys who were early in their career who were low success rate bunters and tried to find guys who were higher success rate bunters. And D. Gordon is one example of that. D. Gordon has turned himself into a pretty good major league player, or at least a, an average, maybe even above average major league player, uh, partly because he's gotten better at bunting and he's using his speed better. Um, and so I think there is some possibility that D. Gordon could, uh, or that Billy Hamilton could kind of follow in D. Gordon's footsteps and say, you know what? I probably swing and miss too much, uh, in an attempt, to, a silly attempt to hit for power. Uh, I would be better off, you know, remodeling my swing and trying to improve my bunt uh, outcomes in order to get on base more often and use my speed. I think if if Billy Hamilton at some point comes to realize that his current approach isn't working, uh, Dee Gordon's not a terrible person for him to try and emulate.
0: So I was looking at uh, yeah you mentioned 2002 to 2015 for that search uh, regarding bunters. I just did one since 2010, and there are there are actually there's like 10 11 guys who have actually posted bunt hit rates. Uh, above forty percent, or yeah. or essentially a four hundred OBP. I think Leonis Martinez is like almost fifty percent, right? Yeah, he's very high. Ben Zobrist. I, it depends where you set the cutoff, but Ben yeah. Zobrist has been successful on twenty of forty attempts. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, Chris Heisey, Jose Reyes, you know, some a you know, bunch of names you would anticipate. But um, is there anything? I guess, this might be in sort of in the direction of game theory. Is there a suggestion that they should be bunting more? Well, I think that's what
1: the tricky thing, right? It's like if you're a 50% bunter when you bunt 40 times, you're not going to be a 50% bunter on bunts number 41 through 50 because you have, through your own expertise, selected out that these are low-quality opportunities that don't justify a bunt attempt. Uh, so, you know, we see that's like the stolen base guys, right? Like if you're a 90% base dealer, uh, you're a 90% base dealer because you're picking your spots, most likely not, because you're running on every pitch, Billy really Hamilton is. Uh, so I think if these guys bunted more often, we would see their success rate go down. But the question is, you know, uh, it's relative to their own expected outcomes when they don't bunt of whether they should bunt more. If you're Billy Hamilton and your outcomes when you swing are terrible, which they (laughs) generally are, you should bunt more even if your success rate on bunting goes down because your success rate on not bunting is already crap. Uh, but if you're Ben Zobrist and you actually can hit and you can draw walks and you can do other things... Maybe you shouldn't be punting any more than you already are, and you should just treat it as like a, a way to steal
0: some hits here and there. Ben Sobrist is a is a is a cool player, isn't he? He's very good. Yeah. He just does he does everything well. except stay on the field. Yeah. Well that's in maybe, this year. Maybe more recently, yeah. 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 That's too bad. That's too bad. But what a cool player. Um that's my that's my analysis. Listen, I want to tell you something, Dave Cameron. It's possible that in the next That Before the end of the week, I'm going to write another post about Junior Guerra or Guerra. I just want to tell you that.
1: Okay. Well, if I can make a suggestion, you should maybe hold that post until next week because I'm going on vacation next week and we're going to need the traffic and Junior Guerra will make up for the traffic that is missing.
0: Yeah, like two or three of your posts probably. The equivalent, uh, the equivalent of.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe even my entire week's worth of content
0: can be replaced by just one junior Guerra image. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be good. He's a thirty-year-old, yeah, and he's dominating AAA. It's pretty good. Yep, it's exciting to me. All right, uh, everything else good? We did we miss anything? Um,
1: you know, we didn't talk about everything, so yeah. yes, we did miss things. But that's uh, a-
0: anything notable? Yeah.
1: Notable? Probably not.
0: Probably not. All right. Well, then, uh, yeah, it appears as though you have fulfilled your obligation, Dave Cameron.
1: Good. It will be two weeks before I fulfill my obligation again. I look forward to, uh, yeah. not, not talking to you next Monday. Yeah. Uh,
0: I wonder, if we've previously had Jeff Sullivan fill in for you. We could do that again, or, uh. Well, next
1: Monday is Memorial Day, so you may want to oh. record on a different day unless you're going to uh, try and entice someone to give up, uh, their burgers and, yeah, that's right. And, and flags and all the things that happen
0: on the. That happen on Memorial Day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe we'll find. There's we have a couple of new people who interest me. Really like the work. Uh, Craig Edwards has been writing every day. Yeah, which is which is uh, deserves Our, recognition. That's, that's difficult. Yeah. Uh, maybe um, we
1: have a Canadian on staff. Do we have any more Canadians? Yeah, but here, no, here, I'm here, not here, Canadian here's though.
0: Here's I'm not going to take the Monday off. Uh, okay. I'm going. To, I am going to take the Monday off.
1: You're, you're kind of French.
0: Yeah. Sort of. I'll, no French person would think that. <laughs> right.
1: Well, you're more French than the rest of our staff.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. We're, 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 done. Uh, we're done. We're done. We're uh, done. Uh, Corey Kluber, Chris Sale today. That's going to be a good one. That uh, should be a good matchup. Yeah, it should be a good one. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Dave Cameron. You're welcome. It has been Dave Cameron, Managing Editor of Fangrafts.com. I'm Carson Sustuli. It's been Fangrafts Audio.